Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an independent record label. And today we're getting very practical and we're talking about the top 10 mistakes that I see people or I personally have made um, when starting um, a vinyl record pressing project. And see, this is a very intimidating uh, and stressful endeavor. If you're a record label or if you're an independent artist and you are thinking, okay, this upcoming release, it's a really important record. We've been working on it for a really long time. I think we want to do vinyl for the very first time, or maybe you've already pressed vinyl. And I can find this process to be very stressful because probably the biggest reason is it's so much money, right? And because it's such an old medium, it's such an old technology that there are so many different factors, there's so many different materials in place, and there's so many different checks and balances that need to happen from our end as a record label, and of course, from our pressing plant as well. And so there's so many things that can go wrong, or it certainly feels like there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And so shelling out several thousand dollars and then receiving these huge boxes in your living room and cracking them open and just praying that the audio is right, that you got the band members' names right and the track listing is right. And listen, I've been there. I've had mistakes before. Nothing too serious, I don't think. Maybe. <laughs> I had a huge mistake once on a CD, but that wasn't as stressful as vinyl. Vinyl is very stressful. And also the time, right? If it takes, you know, it used to take upwards of a year to manufacture from start to finish. Now it's much better than that. But even still, if it's three to six months, of manufacturing and you've made a huge mistake that's thousands of dollars loss and all that time loss so i don't want to stress you out i want to kind of tackle today 10 things that um a lot of us are victim of that we kind of forget about or we overlook or we underestimate and that's what i want to talk about and so hopefully if you're listening to this before you're getting ready to press your first vinyl record that you find this helpful maybe you find this episode somewhere in the world um just as you're getting ready to do some research into pressing vinyl, and I hope that you find it helpful. A huge shout out to our sponsor of this month and today's episode, Precision Pressing. They are a pressing plant in Canada, but it doesn't really matter where they're located because they've really tackled some incredible um, international shipping options. So if you're kind of worried about shipping or ordering in Canada, um, then you know that that's not really a huge thing. But I've been using uh, Precision Pressing because they're local, but actually before that, somebody recommended them to me. Somebody who is in California recommended them to me and said, you should check them out. And I was like, oh my goodness, they're actually right around the corner for me. Their their plant is right around the corner for me. And so I've now been using them for all of my pressing projects for the past um, four or five years. And I really love working with them and they're really good people. And we just had Paul Miller um, on the show last week and we were talking a lot about pressing vinyl and so a huge shout out to them for supporting our community. And if you're looking for a plant to press vinyl records, I know there's a lot out there and you can ask your friends and your peers and the people in your community, but I will tell you personally, I use Precision Pressing. So check them out at precisionpressing.com. The link is in the description below. As always, my resources on the art of pressing vinyl and some of my templates that you can use can all be found at otherrecordlabels.com slash vinyl. That's otherrecordlabels.com slash vinyl. Mistake number one is starting too late. This is a huge thing. And uh, let me explain. So, uh, and I guess if you're in this research phase and the album is done in your hands and it's coming out in a couple of months and you're just starting this research now, then I apologize. This episode came a little too late, but hopefully 
you're not, you're just in the way early fa- phase and the band is still in the studio. In fact, our friend Paul at Precision Pressing, when I interviewed him first a couple of years ago, he had this great idea that like a record label or whatever band member is in charge of the administrative side of things should really reach out to a couple pressing plants to start getting quotes and meeting with sales reps while the band is still in the studio. And so if you're kind of asking yourself, when should I start this process of like getting the artwork together and picking what color we want to do vinyl and some of the features? Well, first of all, the answer is it's never too early. I mean, you could literally contact a sales rep or use the online quote generator anytime you want, even if you don't even have the songs written. That's not, it's not a big deal. It's okay to be researched. Information is good to have. And so I see a lot of people just kind of thinking about this a little bit too late in the process. Now, at the time of recording this, lead times, the manufacturing times have improved. And so I personally had something done in three months, which is insane to me. I can't promise that for everyone, but you can think anywhere between three to six months right now is the norm. Now, somebody might laugh at this in uh, a year's time listening to this, because if I said that a year ago from now, people would laugh because it was like 12 to 14 months towards the end of COVID. And so now I think things are a lot better. And maybe we'll see them improve even better, which I think would be awesome because then we could be creative and spontaneous and still have our releases come out on vinyl. But right now we're talking three to six months. And so it's really important that you know this, right? And so the very first thing you do is go and check on the Pressing Plants website or ask around in your community and say, what are lead times right now at Pressing Plants in North America or Europe or where you, wherever you are in the world? So it's good to know how long you're working with And then just remember, we've talked before about work back schedules. If you have a release day, okay, let's say, let's say today is January 1st. If you have a release day coming in September, that is, what is that? That's nine months away. Okay. So you have a release date in September. First of all, if you know you have a release date coming in September in January, then you are very well organized and uh, you're in the top 1% of organized record labels. Congratulations. So if you know, that's the case, um, you know that it's going to probably, if you want to have the records in hand, like the band's going on tour or you're having a big release show, then you're going to want to make sure that the records are in hand for that day. And so let's say like you talk to a plant and they're saying three to four months for manufacturing. So let's go on the the far end, let's say five months, just because we really want to make sure that we have these. And there can be mistakes. Generally, like mistakes are can be on our end, like there's something wrong with the art or the audio didn't sound very great, but maybe the plant messes up too. You never know. And so let's give them five months, maybe even a bit more. And so now we're talking, we want to have, man, this math is starting to get tricky for me, but I think we're going to want to submit sometime in April, right? And so sometime in April. And so that means, okay, hold on a second. Now we need to have our audio and the the record needs to be done and mastered sometime in March, right? If the band wants to sit with it and relax and be like, okay, yeah, I'm happy with this because if we're sending the masters to our pressing plant in April, then by the end of March, they need to be done. So that means that the record needs to be done sometime early March so that it can get to a mastering engineer, right? You see how you, you all of a sudden work back. So now it feels like we're ahead of the schedule because it's January and we're planning for a record nine months away. But then we realized, no, actually, the band needs to be done in the studio by the end of next month, right? And see how, how like quickly time goes by when you plan ahead like this. And so I'm going to move on from this mistake. But the biggest mistake or, or one of the biggest mistakes is starting this process too late. Number two is not having an objective. 
not having an objective with your vinyl project. Like here's the, the biggest objective I hear from people. And that is, I thought it's what everyone does, or I just kind of want to have vinyl in my hand. That's cool. That's not a great answer. I mean, I agree with you. Don't get me wrong. I feel like I need to keep up with the Joneses. And that's why sometimes why I press vinyl, I do like to cement my creativity on vinyl um, or acetate it or whatever. And so I, I get that, but that's not really like a good business position to have, is it? So why do you want to press vinyl? Why does the artist want to press vinyl? Let's ask questions like, are our fans into vinyl? Are they buying vinyl? Maybe they're like some of the younger demographic that is collecting it, that maybe they don't listen to it or don't have a turntable, but they really like supporting artists and they like the look of them on their bookshelf, which no shade. I really, really, I, I can respect that because I do have some cool test pressings and bootlegs that are behind me right now on my, um, on my shelf that I, I think are really cool. They're old, they're, they're hard to find, they're rare, and I don't really listen to them because in some of the cases, the bootlegs are audience recordings, they're goofy, but um, they're super cool. So I get that feeling. So if, if our fans just like to collect vinyl, that's okay, that's a good reason. What problem does this solve? Like, how does this contribute to your release strategy? I'm not saying what problem does it solve in society or even in your fans' lives, not necessarily the case, but how does this contribute to our release strategy? And so here's an example, uh, an example objective you could have. As a record label or as an independent artist, you might want a high ticket revenue stream for the label or for the artists when they're on tour. And so vinyl, we know, is a high ticket revenue stream, meaning you charge a lot for them, right? If you're on tour, I think the average price now is $30. If you're a bigger artist, you might be charging $40. If it's a double vinyl, we usually charge things that are increments of whatever cash people usually have on hand. And so something like between 30 and $50 for like a really great vinyl that maybe it's numbered or autographed or whatever, that is, um, that's normal. And so that's why it's a high ticket item. And if you do a limited quantity or special color variants, then that price can get up. And the fans who just want to listen to your music and that's it, they're going to go to streaming. Maybe the fans want to just listen to digital, but they do want to show a bit of support. So they buy the digital files from your Bandcamp store. But then there's some fans who are like, I want it all. I want the, the biggest package you can give me because I want to show my support, but I also want to showcase um, my tastes in music. And I really love vinyl or I really love physical media, whatever. And so it's a high ticket item. And, and for you as a record label, for your overall revenue in, in on from record stores and from Bandcamp, um, but also when an artist is on tour. Another objective could be to reach a wider audience with the visuals of the stunning vinyl package. Now I've talked about this before, but I think that your job promoting your release is a little bit easier online, especially like on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok, when you can show the artists holding their test pressing or the artists at their pressing plant um, actually pressing one of their own vinyl pucks. I've done that before, it's really cool. And, or just at the very end of getting this final vinyl, final vinyl, that's hard to say together, the final vinyl package and showing people, look, pink vinyl and a really cool artwork and, and it's gatefold and, and it comes with this like lithograph or this like handwritten notes, the first 50 copies, you know what I mean? So it's like all of a sudden when you show that online, it has way more weight than just saying 
the digital downloads are here or go to your streaming platforms to listen to it. There's no urgency with that, right? And the music fans are like, oh, cool, they have a new album out. I'll hopefully add it to my library next time I'm in Spotify or Apple Music. Whereas vinyl is like, oh, I need to get one of those. That's really cool. And so those are objectives, by the way. Those are actual objectives. But just saying, I think we're supposed to do vinyl, that's not a good objective. And so if you're going to spend $2,000, $3,000, $4,000 and get all of this inventory and put all this time and effort into making vinyl, what's the reason? What's the objective? What's the plan? Remember, you're a business person. This is You're running a business. And so you need to tell the board of directors why you're investing in this vinyl project. Uh, number three, mistake number three is underestimating the artwork. Now, if you listen to our interview with Paul Miller of Precision Pressing, um, we did an interview with him about three or four years ago. And I did another interview just last week. And um, a lot has changed. And there was a lot that we covered in both episodes. But the kind of common denominator in both episodes was how often artists and labels underestimate artwork. Now, this is coming from independent artists, usually in independent record labels. We underestimate the artwork. In fact, I believe it was like over 80% of the mistakes that happen or the slowdowns that happen, the speed bumps that happen when pressing vinyl is in the artwork. It's not even in the audio. Uh, all of the issues that you can really, not all of the issues, but most of the issues are happening from artwork, which blows my mind. There are things like, uh, I've talked about this before, and I think I talked about this in our, our one of our courses <clears throat> about art and design, is the difference between CMYK which is cyan, magenta, um, CM, Y is um, yellow, and K is black, sorry. And then RGB, which is a digital um, processing of color, which is red, green, blue. And so CMYK is made up of inks, and it's made of those four inks that I mentioned, and the combination of it. And it's quite limited compared to the, um, the lights and the digital LED system that your computer monitor uses with RGB. You can get far more vibrant and colorful neons than you can in print. Print is a lot more muted unless you go the Pantone route, which costs a little too much money. <clears throat> so the reason I mentioned this is because oftentimes we'll be designing our covers on Photoshop on our computer and we're like, oh my gosh, look at that neon green. It looks so cool. And then when you print it out on your home computer or when you actually get the records back or even just the digital proofs back from the pressing plant, you're like, man, this looks boring. What's going on? And so these are like the little things that you need to understand that like things are maybe not as vibrant. Colors aren't as rich. And that's true more for other colors. I think like blue uh, and green, I think, and maybe even maybe red, blue and green. Definitely. I think are, are the, um, the colors that suffer the most transitioning from RGB to CMYK, but it's something you need to understand. And so the solution I think now, and that's just one issue, by the way, um, using your manufacturer's template and making sure you follow those requirements is really important. Another issue I see with artwork is um, people blow up their CD artwork to vinyl size and then it looks goofy. And so like your copyright tag, when it used to be 10 point font on the back of a CD, it's now blown up to like 16 point font on the back of a vinyl and it's way too big or the barcode is way too big. I see this all the time. It's like, you're using a different canvas. And so you need to kind of design for that canvas. You can't just take your digital artwork that you use for Bandcamp or for CDs or cassette and then magnify it by four times. It's just going to look goofy. So you have to kind of start fresh. 
That's another, you know what I mean? There's so many, and we haven't even talked about like aligning your spine or, you know, understanding the, picking the, the labels for, for on the discs and, and the inserts and blah, blah, blah. There's so much that can go wrong. And there's so many components that make up the vinyl package that we love so much, right? There's just artwork everywhere. And people always say, one of the reasons why people have gone back to vinyl is because we, we got sick of seeing that like 100 by 100 pixel album cover. And now we get to look at it at 12 inches by 12 inches and being like, wow, this is a beautiful cover. But artwork is where a lot of things go wrong. There's two things I just want to give you some two pieces of advice with this. Number one is let's hire a graphic designer. I mean, hopefully there's somebody that you've worked with in the past or somebody in your community that you can recommend and, you know, hopefully work with them to help you put this entire package together. Now that can get really costly because a designer has two jobs. One, they could be designing the album cover, meaning they're taking your creative concept and creating a piece of art or, or, and, or the designer could be doing that plus then laying out your entire, entire vinyl package. So if somebody designs a square piece of artwork for your album, that doesn't mean that they automatically have the labels for the vinyl or even the CD label already designed. That's something they have to do extra. So a graphic designer could take your, um, album cover and then create different auxiliary components to put your vinyl package together, or they could do the whole job where they create the artwork and then they build everything like your cassette and your web banners and, and your social media graphics and all that. But that can get really costly. So another thing you can do is you can use the, a lot of pressing plants will have graphic designers and they're very used to their process and they, they know how to make sure to take your art and to make sure it looks good when pressing vinyl. And so I generally, I don't, I can't say for sure, but generally those plant designers are a little bit cheaper than hiring a graphic designer to work just with you. Now, I won't say this for sure, but perhaps there may be aren't as good or aren't as um, attentive to your overall project than if you were to hire a bespoke graphic designer to do something that was bespoke for you, as opposed to just using the plant designers. But I think using the graphic designers at a pressing plant, like our friends at Precision Pressing, at least you have the peace of mind that they know um, how the process works and what the file, the finished files should look like. And so there might be a hybrid approach where you hire a designer to design the album cover and to give you like the Photoshop file of that album cover that you can use on Bandcamp and on Spotify and Apple music. But then you could send that to your pressing plant and then they manipulate that into creating the whole package. So anyway, underestimating artwork is a huge mistake. We're only on number three. Let's move. Number four is under underestimating the audio. So there are a couple things that you need to pay attention to when preparing your audio files. Uh, track listing is a really big thing. And the biggest issue is the side lengths. I believe the maximum you can do on a side is 22 minutes. The maximum without, you know, really suffering in sound, I think you can go up higher than that. I'm sure your pressing plant will contact you and say, stuff is going to sound pretty sketchy uh, beyond the 22 minute mark per side. And so this is something you have to consider you know, honestly, as an artist, you really should be considering this in the recording process. And I think about this when I'm, you know, writing my songs and mixing my songs and looking at potential track listings. And I'm like, 
this could be a problem. I might need to kind of alter things so that I can fit this on vinyl if vinyl is a priority for me. Or maybe I do an alternate track listing for vinyl from digital. That's something they used to do in the 80s and 90s as well. So it's not absurd. And it's something I don't think I've done it before, but I've done it on cassette where I've changed things around for cassette. So track listing and and the overall track times on your vinyl, and that's something you need to talk to your rep about. What happens when you exceed that 22 mark, 22 minute mark, especially in the genre of music you're doing, um, the grooves start to get thinner and thinner and the sound really suffers. And so, you know, can you afford to do a double disc release? If not, maybe we tweak things a little bit. Um, there's also audio resolution. If you're working with a mastering engineer, the biggest thing, the best thing you can do is just let them know, Hey, we're going to be pressing this to vinyl. Maybe they give you higher resolution wave files for vinyl than you're going to use for digital. Maybe now because of, um, some of the hi-fi, um, the, the high, high HD quality that, um, DSPs are accepting that you can use the same audio files, which are generally 24 bit and 48 thousand megahertz or kilohertz whatever sorry or 48 kilohertz um anyway your mastering engineer should be able to help with that number five mistake i see is forgetting to do pre-orders i think this is really important that if you're working on a record even if it's six months away it's okay to let fans know and maybe some of your diehard fans just via email and say hey listen if you you know buy this record now ahead of time it's kind of like a self-run kickstarter if you buy this record ahead of time, you know, we're obviously going to use the money to, to pay for the, the down payment of vinyl because vinyl is like 50% down payment at the beginning. And then, you know, so you might need a couple thousand dollars to get going. And so you could reach out to your top 40 or 50 fans, sell them maybe like a 40 or $50 thing that comes with uh, an autographed thing. Maybe they get like a few bonus tracks a few months before the record comes out. Maybe they get the record shipped to them ahead of everyone else. And so don't forget to do pre-orders. You can do them on Bandcamp. You can do them privately via email. Um, you can run a fundraiser like Indiegogo or Kickstarter. I know Bandcamp had or has some sort of fundraiser platform. I'm not sure how well it works, but whatever. Um, and the other thing to do is to, going back to artwork for a second, is utilizing digital mock-ups. So you can have your designer or you can create these Photoshop super real. By the time you're listening, to this is probably AI can do it for you. But this like gorgeous looking real life photo of what your vinyl project is going to look like, which is just a digital mock-up. And these digital mock-ups are becoming incredibly common and incredibly effective. And so you can use that uh, as a way to show fans what it's going to look like. And so when you send that to them or you post it on your band camp and then you ask for pre-orders, somebody's like, Oh, that's going to look really cool. As long as they understand it's three to four to six months away, um, using those digital mockups can be really helpful. Number six is failing to optimize the entire package, failing to see that you're not just selling a medium for music. You're not just providing someone with a black disc so that they can conveniently listen to your music because vinyl is not convenient. It's the opposite of convenient. This is not the only way for people to listen to your music. They can stream it anywhere on any device at any time, anywhere in the world. So vinyl is a luxury and vinyl is more of an experience for people. And so when we realize that we're not just actually providing people with access to our music, we're actually creating quite this like exclusive 
elite experience, almost like a ticket to a show or a ticket to a reading or, uh, you know, you know what I mean? Like some special access to you. And so when we think of our vinyl project in that way, we start to think, how can we augment? How can we make this overall package more exciting? How can we have the vinyl color um, match the artwork or look cool with the artwork? How can we do some sort of inserts that don't cost too much money so that when people get this in the mail, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when I've ordered like a major release from a, a major label, you get the record in the mail. It's basically just the digital or the CD artwork blown up. And, and then it's like 150, 160 gram black vinyl. And like, there's no inserts, it's white paper inserts. It's not a gatefold. There's been no care or consideration at all. It's basically just, Hey, you like this album on CD? Here it is on vinyl. And I hate that feeling. Like I'm a sucker for buying it because I did want that record on vinyl, but it doesn't necessarily sound any better. It, and, and there's certainly no experience. There's nothing exciting or intimate about that project as opposed to, you know, like a 50th anniversary thing where they include some bonus songs or they include a little write-up from the artists and, and they change something about the project. That's way more exciting. And that um, contributes to the overall experience. So it's crucial that whether you're just, you're doing your first vinyl or your 100th vinyl, that you consider the entire package, the inserts that you're including, the color of the vinyl, making the entire package exciting and valuable. Maybe you're doing local um, variant colors for your local record store. So fans who are nearby, who come to your house to pick it up or come to the show is are getting like a special color different from what they get if they order on Bandcamp. There might be multiple colors. So somebody's like, oh, I like this color, but I also like it on Splatter and they get to pick and they feel like a, they have a sense of like choosing what is best for them. And so think of the whole package uh, as a, an entire experience, not just a way for people to hear the music, right? That's We're not doing that. Number seven is pressing the wrong quantities. This is a mistake I've made recently. I've, you know what, listen, I've made this mistake uh, on both sides of the spectrum. The first time I ever did vinyl was 10 years ago, literally 10 years ago last month. And it was, uh, and I still have copies and I did too many copies. The first time I ever did CDs, by the way, which is like 20 years ago, um, I still have copies of those and I did way too many. I did like five or 600 and it was like my first CD and nobody knew me and I didn't have a label. <laughs> I didn't even have my own label. It was, um, it was a disaster and I still have them. And so, but on the other end of the spectrum, I am now out of the last two records that I've done, uh, or I'm way too close to be out of them because there's this concept that I'm not sure we're talking about in this episode, but we'll talk about it in our, um, online course, which is um, here's a little preview for any of our um, our fans who listen just to the podcast or whatever. But there's going to be a micro course on pressing vinyl. And it's if you're listening to this on the day this episode came out, it's going to be free um, in a couple of days. So make sure you're on our mailing list to find out about that. Otherwise, it'll be in our Record Label Academy in the future. But one of the things we're going to talk about is the economics of vinyl. And I think what is really interesting is we have to kind of figure out, okay, um, we are going to sell this many on release day. 
And then we're probably going to sell this many as pre-orders before release day. And we're going to probably sell this many on the week or two after release day. But then there's the concept of the long tail <clears throat> where we might sell um, 50 records in the lead up to release day on release day in the week after release day. And then the remaining 50 records might take six months to 12 months to sell. And you can exchange that number with whatever, maybe it's 200 in the very first days. And maybe it's, maybe it's five on the very first days and the other five in the next six months. And so that's the concept of the long tail. And what I'm realizing is that I've pressed too few copies on my last two records because I've done really well to sell them in the first three months, which is really great, but then it dies down. But then what ends up happening is that I don't have anything for the next couple of years. Now, I guess I could do a reprint, but then that starts to um, extend the recoupable process, right? Like making my investment back over the next couple of years because I have to do another two or $3,000. It's going to take a long time. Remember at the beginning of this, I told you I had still had records from the past 10 years because I pressed too many back then. Well, those records now I'm selling for 15 or $20 and it's pure profit. And so that's the long tail. So it's a disadvantage that I have them and I've had them for so long and I, maybe I pressed too many, but today it's an advantage because people who come to my website and want to buy all five of my records or all four of my records, I can now sell them a record that was paid for 10 years ago. And that's the long tail. So you really got to balance this quantity um, concept. It's really tough. We talked a little bit about, you know, 300 can be the sweet spot, but again, you really need to break down where are these going. And so let's say you do a hundred and Paul told us, Paul from Precision Pressing told us that the most common quantity that people ask for on the website is a hundred. And, and so let's say you're looking at a hundred and it's like, okay, we have four band members. So four band members have to sell 10 each, whether that's all 10 of their grandmas, I don't know, but they've got to sell 10 each. So that's 40 taken care of. And let's say you bring 10 down to your local record store. That's 10 taken care of. And let's say they have a label and the label has a good following and we're going to take the label is responsible for selling 20. Okay, so now that's 70 out of the 100. And then let's say we're going to do a release show and we'll probably sell another 20 uh, at that release show. Okay, so that all of a sudden now we're left with only 10 copies left. So that's good, right? That's not, and that's for the long tail for people who discover us or for future shows or whatever. And so that's just using 100 as an easy um, easy math, but yeah, that's the kind of math you need to do when pressing quantities. And don't forget a lot of pressing plants have a concept of overs. So you may receive up to 10% extra <clears throat> of your requested order quantity, um, which you'll then have to sell. And so this is an industry-wide practice and it happens at every plant. And so kind of keep that in mind too. Um, I think my last order, yeah, I did maybe, I got maybe seven or 8% overage. It wasn't that many, but it was, it costs more. You have to pay for them. And, um, but it does give you a little extra copies, which is nice. Okay. Number eight is not reviewing your test pressings properly. This is a very stressful process. You get the test pressing in the mail. Now we talked actually, we talked a lot with precision pressing and they have a really cool new digital test pressing AI process that blew my mind. And you got to go back and listen to this episode because it totally blew my mind. And I didn't realize um, how this process is improving and how we might get to a place where we're not even doing test pressings or, or we're not having them shipped 
to the artist, which is could be cool. It could be a way to, to speed up the process and to save a bit of money. Now, I still like test pressings and I have another thing I want to talk about in the next mistake. But for right now, the test pressing process in the world is improving. But when you get your test pressings, I imagine that so many sales reps are getting emails being like, I heard a pop. I heard a scratch. I heard something. You know what I mean? And uh, I told I told this story when I was talking to Paul in our interview last week. But when I got my latest record, I dropped it um, on the turntable. I was like sweating buckets. I dropped the needle. And within the first couple, in the first song somewhere, I heard like a really gross static sound. And so the way that you review a test pressings and the way that AI are doing this now digitally, but um, the way you do that is you remember exactly where you heard it. And I know, I think it was John Solomon who of comedy minus one told us that he uses a stopwatch. So he hits a stopwatch as soon as he drops the needle and then compares that. So basically I heard that at a certain spot. I just remember the, the song lyric where I heard that scratch or that static sound. I picked up that record. I went over to the box, opened a new record, totally random, took the cellophane off, dropped it again, right at that spot. And I didn't hear the scratch or that the static in the same spot. If I did, I would probably open another one in a different box. And if I heard it the three times in a row, we'd have a huge problem, right? And then maybe I'd compare it to my test pressing. Maybe I didn't hear it there. Luckily, none of that happened. It didn't matter. Um, but that's a lot of people don't review their test pressing properly. They hear, they overreact to the wrong things. They're not testing on multiple turntables. I'm kind of guilty of this, but if I'm not hearing anything across the board, I have kind of like a middle of the road turntable. So it's, it's pretty good, but it's not the best. But um, a couple of records ago, I had a, an issue. And so I went over to my friend's house who has like an incredibly beautiful system. And I tested it over there. I'm thinking about, don't tell her, but I'm thinking about buying my daughter uh, like a Crosley for Christmas. She's a, almost a teenager. And so um, it, that's going to be nice to have that in the house because a lot of people use those suitcase record players. And so I'll be able to test my test pressings on that and be like, oh, what does it sound like through these mono speakers on these, you know, um, $50 turntables. And so test on multiple turntables if possible. Um, okay. Number nine, and this is about test pressings because I, I, I wasn't crazy about the idea of losing out on test pressings and mistake number nine is not exploiting your test pressings. So after we get a test pressing from the pressing plant, we listen to it. Everything's good. We approve it. Let's continue with the manufacturing process. What do you do with these test pressings? At the very least, you have five of them. In some cases you have 10. Some cases, if you're a big label who want to give them away as, as prizes or sell them, you might have 50. I think, I think that gets a little bit, um, you lose the scarcity of it. So I have five and I keep it at five. I might bump that up to seven or eight in the future. But what's, I do a couple things with this. I've talked about it all over the show. You know this. Um, I will take a test pressing. So you get a test pressing maybe three months before the record comes out. So I will sell that for $100 one copy. If you want the record before anyone else, you want to get the record on vinyl three months to six months before anyone else. Usually for me, it's about six months. So somebody will get a copy of my new album. It'll be the, there'll be no artwork. There'll be no track listing. You just, you get this completely blind record with a magic marker on it that I tell you what the album, or maybe I don't even tell you the album title. And uh, I think it's a really cool experience. And if, if any of the bands that I'm a fan of did it, I would probably buy this unless, of course, it was way too expensive. But I sold it for $100. And the two times I've done it, it's sold out within two minutes. And, you know, people love the idea. And then um, on release day, 
I'll, I'll, I'll sell the other, remember like three to six months later, I'll sell the other test pressings for, or maybe two or three of the other test pressings for like $50. <clears throat> and you can maybe get it as a bundle with the actual record, or if somebody just wants the test pressings, and those always sell. And then maybe I'll list another test pressing on Black Friday or something like that. Um, so I really think it's great to exploit those test pressings. Remember, you've paid for them. You've paid to have them shipped to you. You've paid, they're like $5 each or $10 each or something. So um, you can totally take a bite out of the overall cost of your vinyl project by selling those test pressings. And number 10, the most important, well, one of the most important, whatever, not having a plan to sell the records. And we talked about this a little bit, and we're going to talk about it in our course on the economics of vinyl. But what is your plan to sell them? And I talked about this a little bit earlier in the episode about earmarking your 100 copies, or if you have 300 copies, if you're planning to do 300 copies, how are you going to get rid of those, right? That's what we want. Nobody wants these boxes in our garage because we're always excited about the next project. And so it's a little bit depressing to have an album that's five to 10 years old sitting in the garage. We, we want to move on. We want to think about new things. So what's our plan to sell these records? How are you going to engage with your local record store? You know, we might have 10 records and we might say, we might email them before they come back from the pressing plant and say, listen, can I bring by 10 records? I'm going to tag you on social media. I'm going to tell people that they're available there, that the fastest way to get them locally is from this one record store or for all the record stores. Maybe you've done a, an exclusive variant that's only available in your hometown. That could be really cool or your home state or whatever, or home country. That'd be kind of cool. Um, how are you going to promote your record in the weeks and months after release day and kind of start to trigger that long tail so that you're still selling one of these records a week, you know, a year from now, that kind of thing. How to earmark batches for distributors and other channels. I've been lucky enough to have some really great record stores overseas who have been interested in my records. And now I can probably confidently say that I have you know, uh, probably 100 to 200 records that are spoken for by retailers um, all over the world. And I, I find that really comforting. So it's like, oh, I can now press 300. So get a great price per unit. And the 100, I'm going to take care of on my own Bandcamp store and the long tail over the next <clears throat> couple of months and years where people will, will pick up this record. And then, uh, you know, between 100 to 200 are spoken for by record stores and retailers and distributors and clubs and that kind of stuff. So that's really cool. And if, if we can have that plan in place, that's really good. Another really interesting thing, and my, my, um, my friend at, at Precision Pressing mentioned this to me, and I thought it was really cool, is that there's a lot of pressing plants out there that are quite big. And even if a pressing plant is new and not quite big, they still have a social media presence. All of these pressing plants are doing really cool Instagram and TikTok stuff where they're showing off the records that they're manufacturing. And they're always, a lot of them are really happy to brag about the projects they worked on. And so it can be pretty substantial for you as a record label or an independent artist to have the pressing plant promote your record and say, hey, look at this cool variant we did for a local band or for a local record label. And if they have a following of 5,000 or 10,000 people, then the pressing plant where you had your records made could promote your record for them. And the way you initiate that is you could actually explicitly ask them, or you could just tag them and say, thanks to this pressing plant for making these beautiful records I have in hand now. And then they'll probably repost that because you're bragging about them and they'll start bragging about you. And so we need to have a plan. 
to sell the records. And this is a little bit different from objective. When we go back to the beginning, when I was talking about objective, that's a little bit different. That's about saying, what's the why? The plan is the how. How are we going to sell these, right? So I hope you found this helpful. These are the 10 mistakes I see people make. Number one is starting too late. Number two is not having an objective. Why are we doing this? Number three is underestimating the artwork process. Number four is underestimating the audio process. Number five is forgetting to do pre-orders. Number six is failing to optimize the entire package. Number seven is pressing the wrong quantities. Number eight is not reviewing your test pressings properly. Number nine is failing to exploit those test pressings. And number 10 is not having a plan to sell the records. I hope you found this helpful. Thank you. Please go to our website, otherrecordlabels.com slash vinyl for all of my resources for making vinyl records. I love vinyl. I really do. And I know a lot of you out there do as well. And I know a lot of our fans do. If you're looking for a place to press your vinyl, I want to give another shout out to our sponsor for this week, Precision Pressing. They are my preferred plant to press my records. And I know a lot of people in our community have spoken highly about them. So go to precisionpressing.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.